Greetings, everyone. You're listening to the Career Quest podcast, created out of the Work Integrated Learning and Career Education Center. I'm your host, Megan Harker. We will explore and discuss a variety of topics relating to inspirational stories of Northwest students, work relevant skills for today's workforce, insights into organizations and their hiring practices, employment and labor market trends, and much, much more. We want to support students by maximizing empowerment through education and experience. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, CareerQuest listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 3, Employer Insights for the Everyday Job Seeker. We are excited to have an employer partner of the NorQuest community with us today, sharing their valuable insights into the hiring process and advice on how to make yourself stand out. Thank you for being with us and taking the time to be a guest on CareerQuest. Please feel free to introduce yourself and the organization that you are representing. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Megan. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm the HR advisor for London Drugs. Um, honored to be uh, asked to be a guest on your smash hit podcast, Career Quest. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit about me. I, I mean, I've worked for London Drugs for most of my career. Uh, I started at London Drugs actually when I was 16 years old. It was my first job ever. Uh, I was a part-time stock person during high school, um, working evenings and weekends. Um, and since then, I've held many different roles in the, in the company and in the store, advancing my career uh, through various management positions up to store manager. Uh, and now I work in our head office in Human Resources as an HR advisor. Uh, but prior to that, I've also worked uh, twice as a corporate recruiter for London Drugs, um, just stepping in to help out some HR before taking on this permanent role. I definitely appreciate hearing about your journey, Dave, um, and the progression as well as the fulfillment that you've had working at London Drugs, and also to hear about your exciting transition into leadership roles as well. Yeah, yeah, really most of, most, almost all of it. I, I, I stepped, uh, I left London Drugs briefly and worked at Starbucks, um, and then uh, was another great company to work for, but then um, came back to London Drugs, was lucky enough they they wanted me back. So it was great. It's been really good, uh, really good career journey. That's great. So what do you love about the work that you do? When you go out in the world of work and, and, and just in waking life, you, you introduce yourself to people, right? And that's always yeah. like the, the first question. So what do you do for work around what we're passionate about and what we really love about what we do? Good to emphasize more so than just our job titles. What do you really love about the work? I love the way you frame that actually, Megan, because it's something that I, occurred to me um, in my career a few years ago was um, I've always been really passionate about um, leadership. Um, and uh, I realized that, you know, with different job titles, so it, it's exactly what you said. It's not so much about the job title. It's about the influence that you can have in that position. You can be a leader from anywhere in an organization. You can be um, a leader or, or have influence over people anywhere. And, and what I mean by over people, I mean influence people. So I think that's the big thing for me is I've always loved working with people. I think that's what kept me in retail for so long. That's what originally drew me to it. I love meeting new people. I love working with a team. And then, yeah, like I said, I really discovered that I loved leadership and coaching. And that's what drew me ultimately to uh, human resources, uh, seeing people develop, helping people work together, ensure they have a safe, supportive work environment that allows them to do their best work. Um, that's what I'm really passionate about. I think it takes a special kind of person to facilitate that. We all have our strengths and uh, we all have our go-to qualities we really have as individuals. And I think aligning those with, again, who we are as people and how that translates to what we do in the world of work. So I really enjoyed hearing about that. And uh, yeah. I, I too love people. So <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't show interaction causes human reaction. And I always live for positive impact. So that's, that's great. So let's talk a little bit more about delve a bit deeper into the organization, just general hiring practices. How do you typically find job candidates? And I know that right now in your current role as a HR advisor, you're not necessarily recruiting, but if you could just give a little bit more insight to our CareerQuest listeners that are embarking on that journey where they're starting to apply for jobs and they're starting to develop their marketing tools, like their resume mm -hmm. letter and applying online and all that good stuff. So 
how does how does London Drugs typically find their candidates? What's that process look like? Yeah, like we use a variety of sources to find job candidates. You know, I think like most everybody nowadays, uh, all our job postings can be found online um, on our website, londondrugs.com slash careers. Uh, shameless plug here. Go apply for jobs today, everybody listening. <laughs> we also use what's called an ATS or an applicant tracking system to post all of our jobs on our website and track each candidate. And really the benefit for using a system like that for us is it also posts on many uh, common online job boards for us as well, including Indeed, Glassdoor, ZipRecruiter, some social media sites like Facebook Jobs and LinkedIn as well. So you can look for our jobs on any of those sites, honestly. Um, but really something I often recommend to people is to still apply in person uh, in the store as well as online, if you like. It can be a really good way to stand out, a uh, really good way to get, get noticed and, and, and um, have a good first impression and also learn a little bit about where you're applying. You know, you might um, see some people and learn some names or get a feel for what the work environment's like just by going in in person. That can be really valuable as you're trying to choose where to apply and where you want to work. So yeah, we're still a little old fashioned that way where we still will accept um, hard copy resumes in store. Ultimately, you will need to apply online eventually because that is where we, we have to get you into that system to, to track all the applicants and move them through the process. But um, I tell people to apply both ways, online and in person. I think there's so much value to that. And like you said, it is kind of more of an old school way. Back in the day, you used to just name it. You'd go out there, you'd have your yeah. resumes and you'd, you know, set some time throughout your day and you'd just go hand them out. There's, there's so much lost and job applications are received through, like you said, applicant tracking systems and new uh, HR recruitment softwares that have been developed, which are amazing uh, yeah. efficiency wise, but, but you lose that, that connection. And like you said, that ability to observe the workplace culture and make that first initial impression that could make or break whether or not you end up being called or contacted for an interview. It really allows the job seeker to get in there and just say, Hey, this is me. This is the, this is the in-person version of myself. Totally. And uh, really go in and represent yourself professionally and in a good light and in hopes that that will yield a positive result. Yeah, you, you nailed it, Megan. Exactly my thoughts is it's the um, with online, like lots of things and, and, and the advance of technology, we've gotten so much more efficient in a lot of ways, but we do run the risk at times of losing that human connection that you talked about in the beginning that that interacting with people and reacting. And I know a lot of talking to a lot of applicants over the years, they struggle with how do I get my resume noticed or how do I present as myself? You know, sometimes it can feel like you're throwing your resume into black holes applying online because you don't hear back. So, you know, anything that stands out and, you know, I, I would never tell people like, don't go around whatever that company's um, system is to taking resumes. And I'm not going to tell you to go around a drugs system and taking resumes, but you can do an, in addition to. So apply online and also pop in and drop off a resume and see if you can talk to a manager if they're too busy, you know, make a great first impression on that person working the front desk. Um, because lots of times I'll tell you, you know, with, when, if Aurora comes back to me in my office, when I was working in the store and she drops off the resumes that came in for the day, she'll say, Megan's is on top, give her a call, you know, like she, you know, and I'm going to trust Aurora because she, you know, she's telling me, um, that this is someone she may want to work with. So that's someone I probably will call for an interview. Of course. And why not take it a step further? Why not, why not, uh, follow through with some follow-ups and, yeah. and see what can come from that given the job market right now based on some articles I've read and some of the trends that are happening a lot of those jobs there's anywhere from like 150 to 300 applicants not to discourage anybody but that's the reality right now and any way you can set yourself apart take that step it's 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 going to benefit you and it's going to allow you to not only uh, get yourself out there, but also practice some networking skills. There's just, there's endless benefits to doing that, I think. Uh, like you said, inevitably, just, just being able to greet the people that you might potentially work with and just see what the vibe is like. Totally. What qualifications and transferable skills do you seek in a new hire? Obviously, that, that 
differs depending on the position itself. If you're customer facing or perhaps you might be kind of behind the scenes. I think there are many more common transferable skills that are really prevalent that employers really like to see in their candidates. Uh, So if you want to comment on what some of those top transferable personal skills, soft skills that really stand out. Yeah, uh, oftentimes it really is the soft skills that are most transferable. And, and if you really believe in any of the research done on like emotional intelligence, it can be some of the biggest factors in, in how successful you are in any role. And I think one of the biggest things I say all the time, I, I guess, across the board for London Drugs is you must like people, you know, like teamwork and you must like working with people. Customer service skills are, are paramount and, and the most transferable for us in any role. And even you think about like the people side, even teamwork is really important. No matter what on the, on the back end, whether you're, um, you know, teamwork's important, whether you're working on the front end, interacting with customers, or if your job is back facing, maybe in a, in a warehouse or, or working on the econ team or a night crew, teamwork's still really critical. And that's all about people, like being caring about people. That's one of our core tenants of our brand framework is that we care. And I think that's what shows up everywhere and most successful. Jobs and lend drugs. I often say we're a drugstore, but we're a, a really big, weird drugstore. Uh, we sell all different kinds of products and we aim to be our customers' um, expert advisor in all areas that we do business in. So I would say, like, depending on the role you're applying for, any transferable skills that would apply to that job, obviously, even if you haven't worked directly in the industry, are, are good. So like, think about cosmetics, maybe, and our beauty advisor role. You don't have to have worked in exactly the same job before as a beauty advisor at Paris Drugs or something. But if you to consider a great candidate for the job, any past experience you have in customer service or sales paired with a love of cosmetics goes a really long way. And to use a word that you used earlier, Megan, is passion. I feel it goes a long way in anything that we do as well. You know, we can teach a lot of the skills on the job and we can teach a lot of product knowledge too. So you don't need to know everything about cosmetics, but if you've got a great attitude, customer experience, uh, customer service experience, you love people, and you're really passionate about cosmetics or the beauty industry, you could be a great candidate for that job. You know, and that job in particular, like you don't need to have gone to beauty school or know everything, but if you're active on Pinterest or Instagram, for instance, or Snapchat or any of those platforms, I don't know which ones, those are the ones I, I think I know that have lots of beauty stuff on them. Um, you likely have a great base level of product knowledge that you can share with our customers and combine that with that attitude we talked about, you could be a great fit for the role. Awesome. Got me thinking as you were talking about that, about the different transferable skills that are highly prized by any employer seeking potential candidates. And you really hit a point that always has stood out to me you can teach someone the technical skills in how to do a specific role, but having those soft skills are something that are not as teachable and, and can oftentimes be, be harder to find. And having that whole package, being a team player, having a positive attitude, having resiliency, being open to constant, ever-changing work environments, which is so true, especially with what we've experienced in the past year with the pandemic, are really qualities that are at the top of the list for a lot of employers that I connect with. Yeah. Um, and they do say, look, we can train them how to do this. As long as they're mobile, they're, they're, there's a willingness to learn, there's an eagerness there. Uh, we can train them how to do the job. So since we're talking about opportunities, I want to know more about growing uh, with London Drugs. So say they start off in an entry-level role, what does it look like for them for the long term with their career journey with London Drugs? Is, is there a lot of opportunity for advancement within the organization? What does that look like? Yeah, great question, Megan. Thank you. And it, it, there is there's lots of opportunity. And they you know that even just talking about my career, like I said, I started out many years ago, I guess. I guess it's many years ago now. I have to use that. You don't want to um, date yourself, do you? I, I don't. This is not a video podcast. So, <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, I mean, I started out my career in 1999, a part, part-time stock guy. I was, you know, filling, filling pop, filling toilet paper, getting carts, doing carryouts, right? And I just had lots of opportunities to learn different things in the store, even in a part-time capacity in the summers. 
I learned how to be the backup, backup shipper receiver. I learned how to work on the front desk. I helped out in the aisles with some more advanced merchandising stuff. And, you know, we were big on cross training and all those kind of staff roles. And that really led me to opportunities as a eventually becoming, um, you know, the main shipper receiver of that store and then an early morning stocking team leader. And that kind of gave me the bug for leadership and decided to pursue a career into management. And then was given the opportunity, promoted to sales supervisor and then two years after that department manager a few years after that assistant store manager and then ultimately an opportunity to um cover a mat leave as a, as a store manager for a year with Lundrugs and then into hr as well so i mean some of those things I, i'm taking you know you talk about those skills and what we can teach right like i'm i'm taking courses right now for human resources through um, grant McEwen, and i'm learning a ton but I, the opportunity Opportunities that Lundrix has given me over the years just to get hands-on on-the-job training and learning and leadership and how the company works and interpersonal skills and coaching. That's really what's allowed me to be successful in the roles of um, corporate recruiter and now in, in my new role as HR advisor. It's really that hands-on opportunity that I was given at Lundrix. And we have, so we love to promote from within. Um, we have a strong culture of promoting from within the company, different um, different opportunities in different parts of the store, some robust internal training programs that involve online learning, as well as pre-pandemic, um, we would have a full day or two day even workshops where we'd have staff that come in and, and uh, do a deep dive into topics for full days. So yeah, it's it's, it's really a, a strong culture to, but for me, I think retail is a great on the job learning environment, and you can really take your career a long way. I just love hearing about your career journey so much. It just excites me and it, it, it excites me because it just, it just goes to show that there's so much opportunity out there. If you, if you really take that initiative and you have that open-minded perspective, mm-hmm. just there's so much, there's so much available to uh, somebody who's wanting to build their career and just start off entry level and work towards those goals, those career goals. That leads into my next question. Is it beneficial for students to volunteer, participate in work integrated learning opportunities? Because I know that you've hosted quite a few students from NorQuest for those different types of opportunities and engagement so that they can gain that hands-on experience. The second part of that question is, will hiring managers, uh, recruiters, the people that are on the front lines of hiring see that as beneficial on a resume? So I know that's kind of a two-part question, but... Yeah, maybe I'll tackle the second part first. I think definitely on a resume, for sure, especially if maybe um, your resume might be a little thin on relevant, directly relevant work experience, and you're looking to, to, to learn how to maybe, or you're trying to showcase any transferable skills, like a work integrated learning, that hands-on learning um, with Norquest. I think provides a lot of um, tangible real life skills that can be directly related to it. And, you know, in, in terms of uh, like, how does it work for us in store? One of the things I really appreciated about, you know, Drugs has partnered with um, lots of um, employment um, agencies and, and, and uh, colleges and stuff like that in the past. Um, one thing I really value about our partnership with Norquest is for the work integrated learning program. It's a I mean, lot to say. Easy for me to say, yeah. <laughs> the um, <laughs> I really loved um, as a store manager when I when I hosted someone, I, I really loved how the the worker, like the the Northwest um, representative, she provided a lot of support for the student, but didn't do the job of the student and didn't insert herself in between us. If, if I'm making sense, so I think it's really important that the any from an employment employer's perspective that I have the as the boss, I have that relationship with the student. It's, it's, that's the employment relationship. It doesn't involve, like Norquest helps, that helps obviously and provides support, but it's really between me and the student. And I was looking back at, um, you know, one of the, since I knew we were going to be talking today, I, I took a peek and um, a young man I, I uh, took on as a student, we actually hired him after his um, work experience ended. He was fantastic. The work experience, he really fit in well with the team, um, you know, once he kind of knew the duties he was doing all the time, he, he really um, took to him and, and just good team player, really great guy. And um, we offered him a, a part-time job afterwards and he's coming up, he's nine days away from his two year anniversary with London direct. I just looked him up this morning, actually. Yeah. Oh, so, that's amazing. I love yeah, that success yeah. story. That's great. 
yeah, so it's really cool to see that he's still fitting in and still enjoying it. And I know um, from the store perspective, he was a huge help in the middle of the pandemic, kind of being open to helping out wherever. And, and that's one of the things that you talked about being like resilience and, and adaptability being hard to measure um, and see right away, but how important they are to success on the job. Um, he was really adaptable and resilient during that the whole time and um, jumped in doing any cleaning tasks that were needed as our cleaning rules changed. It felt like hourly <laughs> at times what we needed to kind of do to, to maintain um, a safe place for our, our staff and customers. And he just sounds like he was on board for whatever. And he was just uh, all over it, helping out everywhere. So um, that's amazing. And that's great. You know, that attitude where you're like, I'm up for anything. I'm, yeah. and, and also from the perspective of a good problem solver, like, again, all of those things are amazing. And just to hear how mutually beneficial that was. So not only did that particular student get the opportunity to experience the workplace culture to better understand what the role uh, looked like from that perspective. What do you think is the biggest takeaway for them with experiential learning? As you just described that, that one student that you took on who is now coming up on their two years, obviously mm-hmm. like a, a massive benefit for not only London Drugs, but for uh, that individual continuing their career path with London Drugs. What would you say is the biggest takeaway for the experiential learning piece? Yeah, I, I think experiential learning or learning on the job is just the best way no matter what, right? So I, I think like, I mean, I don't know about you, but any job I've gotten um, or any promotion I've had, you, you know, you're, you feel ready, you're as ready as you can be, but you don't really know, you, you're, you're, not, you're not, you know, like you're not until you're in there doing the job, you right. don't really know what is required or what it's going to be like. I think that's the, the thing about on the job or experiential learning. You, you really get the chance to do it. You, you build those skills and you're just set up for success a lot more. And, um, one of the things with, um, you know, the young man that, that, that I was talking about, he, um, you know, the best part for him was, was really that longer time frame um, to really learn expectations for us to learn his work style, what, what he was, was naturally good at, what we could build on. And, and it really, by the end of the, uh, the work integrated learning period timeline, he just, he just was, we knew exactly where he fit and, and, and uh, we, we knew um, that he could meet the expectations we needed. We knew where he could still grow. And, you know, he just, he was way more successful walking in that way, you know, as opposed to just the, 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 the guessing, right? And I think no matter what, like I said, you're doing the job, you're, you're, you're kind of guessing if you're going to, uh, as uh, employers take bets on, on, on the people they hire or promote and the people that are hired or promoted, you're kind of, place in a bet too. Uh, and, and if that's going to be the job you like, or be the a company you, you want to work with, or it's going to be what you think it's going to be. Right. So yeah, I hope that answers their question, Megan. Uh, oh yes, absolutely. It did. And I kept on thinking of this term. He got to test drive London drugs and totally. in a way you got to test drive his ability and, and how he fit. And yeah. it really comes back to there's always this common term, and I know that you being an HR professional, there's always this talk of the right fit. And I think there's so much to be said about that. And it really comes down to like the culture of an organization. It comes down to that direct dynamic within the team that they're working on. It comes down to leadership. It comes down to a a lot of different things. But that fit, it's like, it's like the it factor when you're going out and you're looking for opportunities and then employers are on the hiring front and they're looking for long-term employees, right? So finding yeah. that right fit, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, there's, there's two pieces with that. I, I heard something really interesting because cultural fit is something I, I think we've been talking about for many years um, in business and HR, like you said. And, and I wish I could credit this to a person because I just heard it. Um, and it's, I'm going to say it's not my concept because, uh, you know, I'm not that smart, uh, but I love this idea they talked about instead of culture fit, what they're looking for in their company is cultural contribution. So what can you add to the culture that we have in our workspace or organization, right? So I think overall, 
there needs to be um, a, a culture fit with the company. But I think that what, what this person was talking about was their company wasn't huge. So they were kind of really trying to be hyper aware of not becoming really homogenized or all the same. They wanted differing viewpoints and different cultural backgrounds, like, like literal cultural backgrounds, obviously, as um, everyone, everyone is, um, you know, Lundrick as well, very committed to diversity and inclusion. It's, but it's, it's what all comes together, right? And, and um, I think that's, that's a cool concept too. So you, you look for, back to like the test driving part, I think that's, it's true. Like, cause that's the part you don't know when you talk about, you know, both sides kind of laying bets of like, hey, bringing this person on um, and, and um, extending trust that they're gonna be a great contributor to your company and you're, you're bringing them on and, and the employee taking the rest to be, give their time and their efforts and to, in a place that they feel like they're going to be able to contribute. And I think that's, uh, you know, the, a big piece is, is that that time that we, that both sides get was, was great to, to see if there was fit there. Fit's kind of nebulous, but it's, it is, it is a, it's a, it is a thing for sure. And like I said, for us, I really believe, you know, we have a strong brand framework internally. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that I always take from it is when they, we use the word caring and we care, like you must care. Uh, any London, any London drugger, as we call ourselves, I've ever seen, you know, cares about people, whether it's customer, whether it's a coworker, whether it's um, the community that we serve in, that's the, the deepest rooted part is, is um, the ones that fit, that stick around forever, um, you know, they care. I'm actually going to do some, uh, you know, research and investigating about that cultural contribution, those tidbits of information. You want a, a workspace that's enriched with diversity and a lot of different people coming together um, to create something bigger, something mm -hmm. simple, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it is about perspective and it's about really acknowledging everybody that's in the world of work, whether your world of work is small, you're in a team of two people, whether you work for a high level corporate agency, whether you're just starting out, um, yeah. and you're, you're working entry level, or you could be a CEO. Like there's just so much to be said about, I like that, that cultural contribution. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to read it in on that, that, that sparks something in me. I, I think me too. I think it was a, I think it was a podcast. I'll find it, Megan, and I'll send it to you. Cool. Um, Thank you. But yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about picking your brain about <laughs> the students are getting out there and they're looking at opportunities and they're in a place where maybe they're coming to the end of their program. Perhaps they're in a program and maybe looking for part-time employment, whatever the case may be. They're just starting out in their career journey. They've completed their post-secondary. How can students really make their resume stand out when they're applying for work? And I know there's a lot of opinion and um, <laughs> people have their own ideas about that. Um, yeah. Your wealth of experience and your knowledge base, what would you say are some of the key things to really make that resume stand out? Yeah, that's, it really is a big question. You're right. And there's, and there's lots and I'll, I'll only speak for, you know, kind of, yeah, my perspective. I, I've seen online before lots of people talking about using keywords to get their resumes, be picked up by algorithms, sophisticated applicant tracking systems or, or what have you, or whatever systems. Um, I don't know if that's the case for other retailers or, or what businesses, but I'll tell you that's not, doesn't, that's not the case for us at LD. I mean, these two eyeballs I have are the only algorithm I have when reviewing resumes. So I will say like to your point before about how many people are applying right now, we get a lot of resumes. Um, and, and like you said, sometimes we can get several hundred for one position during peak hiring time. So not every applicant is gonna is contacted obviously. And you have to have something to make you stand out in your resume. As you think about going through hundreds of those resumes, you, I may only be looking at a resume for 10 to 15 seconds at first glance. So I'm looking fast. And I'm looking for relevant experience first or relevant skills that can be transferable, like we talked about earlier. I listened to you and Lucy talk about the common resume types in uh, episode two of uh, your Smash Hit podcast. Thank you. <laughs> and I think you guys did a fantastic job covering all the different types, so I won't rehash that. But I will say when you guys are talking about the chronological type, um, that is my favorite as it is the most common. So it helps my eyes find relevant details quickly. 
other types of resumes are fine too, other than that, uh, I will say, but just personally, um, that one works well for me. <laughs> and actually, I'll talk about one that I'm personally not a fan of. For oh, please resumes. do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you've seen these ones, but uh, it's a new type I've seen crop up lately that has like horizontal or vertical bar graphs on it. So I don't know what it's called. I think um, I've seen this. It's it's a template that's been floating around. Is yeah. it? Because they'll they'll put these bar graphs on there with headings like teamwork and passion and energy or Microsoft Excel or whatever. And it's just like a arbitrary partially filled up graph. I don't know what it's supposed to signify. Um, oh, it's like their take on an infographic resume. I think so. I think okay. yeah. Yes. Okay. Interesting. I've I've heard of these. Yes. But but like what's the like full graph, what full bar of teamwork is supposed to mean beside a three quarters bar full of energy. Like I don't know what it's rated out of. I don't know what it compares to. What's the uh, measurement tool? <laughs> what's the measurement tool? Um, I don't I don't get it. Um, so anyway, and I've seen that crop up everywhere. Like I've seen that on, on people applying for cashier roles. I've seen it on people applying for head office or marketing roles, even senior buyer roles that I've been involved with. So uh, anyway, I just don't really get that one. I, I, I think it's much easier for me to understand if you just put your experience or your skill in years that you've done that or some kind of time bound thing, or um, if you have schooling in it, obviously that's a accredited measured amount of time, right? Or, or experience. The bar, the bar graph thing always gets me. Another one I would say to avoid would be like those cliche buzzwords like hard worker or results driven or detail oriented. I mean, I guess use them if it's true, but let me tell you, I, everyone puts that at the top of their resume. My eyes just glaze right past it and, it, and I don't read it because I see it. I see it every single time, and it it's it just becomes boilerplate and and not that there's no evidence for that to be true. You see it so often, just everyone does it, right? So it doesn't really add any value for me. I think it's better to tell a story or an experience that shows you have those skills, like shows that you're detail oriented. And I'll, I'll give a recommendation I always give uh, is look up uh, Liz Ryan online. She's the founder of Human Workplace. Uh, she wrote some great advice on how to write a human voice resume and um, great cover letters. And she talks about using, uh, in her terms, dragon slaying stories to illustrate how what you've done in the past that would have those skills. And I think that's a great way on a cover letter to stand out from the pack. If you tell a dragon slaying story of how you were so detail oriented that you found something that saved the company 5,000 bucks. Now you're telling me, I, okay, you are detail-oriented, Megan, I see it, right? I'd like you to save 5,000 bucks for my company. <laughs> Come on over, right? That's yeah. so much more impactful than just writing detail-oriented under your name. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's storytelling-based accomplishments. So yes. giving yes. it so much more weight. Yes. We always coach students and to think, Think about, you know, the when you have your highlights of qualification section or your skill points section to really elevate those points as much as you possibly can. And again, attaching those to accomplishments. And I love, I love that dragon slaying statement. Dragon slaying stories. Yeah. Oh, it gives it so much. Um, you know, what, what did you say? It was something with, with storytelling, right? Like it is, we're humans. Naturally, we're storytellers. Like that's just baked into our DNA, I think. So when you tell me about a time, you know, how many interview questions start with tell me about a time? It's because I want to know you actually did it. I know right. your resume might say you did it. Tell me about it. The real life go. scenario. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I just think this is gold for our Career Quest listeners to hear about all of these amazing tips and insights that you are sharing with us today. And I, I know that anyone that listens to this episode is going to feel the same way. And I'm just so happy to have you on today, Dave, and your willingness to give us all amazing information. I want to talk a little bit about the interviewing process. In your experience, what are some of the, the top tips for being successful in an interview? And I know that depending on the type of interview now, a day, mm -hmm. the virtual format, which I don't know if that's going to continue to be a trend. I would assume it would be because it's so efficient. Yeah. It saves a lot of time. We'll talk a little bit about that. And an in-person interview, obviously there are other types of interviews wherein you could do a one-on-one -on -one or you might be interviewed by, you know, a panel. 
So yeah. Some of your, your tips. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's so many things and so many interview, interview prep you can do. I think, I mean, maybe this is too basic, but I, I always just say like, be prepared as you can, but don't over prepare and, and mostly be yourself, right? Like don't spend time trying to anticipate every single question that may be asked. Definitely put a little bit of work into, into what common interview questions might be. Um, think about things about the company or about the job that they may ask you. And, but really think about like how you're going to apply those skills and those transfer abilities that you have to this job when they're asking those, those questions. Because um, so many times, so many interviews are based on, um, you know, those, those questions like tell me about a time and, and we're, we're really looking for experience. Um, and if you don't have exactly the experience, just think about how, what you have done that would apply to a situation like that. So you can say, well, I've never been exactly in that situation, Dave, but I remember this one time, you know, and, and you can tell that story and you can say, this is what I would do in this situation, um, based on that. And one of the other things I always say to people is <laughs> interviews can be very stressful situations, whether in person, online, um, with a panel, especially, it can make you feel like literally you're on a hot seat, right? So one piece of advice I give to people is don't be afraid of the pauses in the conversation. Don't be afraid to stop and think for a few seconds. Uh, people have a tendency when nervous to feel like every pause or silence in conversation stretches forever when really it's just a couple seconds, right? So I think that's one of the things that I tell myself <laughs> whenever I've been interviewed. Um, but also I think that the best advice for people is, is just don't, it, we get in our heads. We, we, start, we start worrying about those, those pauses. We start um, thinking it's dragging on for 30 seconds. Really it's been two seconds. Much better to give yourself time to think and come back with a really good response or even ask clarifying questions if you need to. Yeah, and, and, and uh, to buy yourself some time. Yeah, you can always rephrase and reiterate if you're needing yes. some time to really process it and think about what they're asking. I agree with you. I feel like those un uncomfortable pauses can be awkward. And that's so true. When in an interview setting, we feel like we need to rush along, like we don't want to take too much of their time. The attention is focused on you as the interviewee. So it's really your opportunity to shine and talk about all of the amazing things that make you a great fit and a good candidate and all those relevant experiences that apply to the position and what they're looking for, the skill set. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I, I myself have been in many an interview and I, I coach students about interviews and I, I still get nervous. It's a natural human reaction. It's stressful. Like interviews are one of the most high stress times people go like it. I, I wish I knew what that study was, but I, I saw that one time how high the stress level is in interviews typically. And it's way up there. Like it's, it is a stressful situation. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. And it's good to go in. I, yeah. I, I think the preparation piece is key, but again, to the point where you don't want to be too overprepared that you, you can't, like you said, be yourself or allow things to kind of flow organically and I think there is an art to interviewing yeah. and you not you never know what you're going to encounter you don't know if you're going to be walking into a panel interview or if it's going to be a one-on-one -on -one. you don't know what the interviewer's style is going to be mm -hmm. so a lot of unknowns and I always say that being genuine and just going in this is this is what I have to offer these are my skills this is my qualifications obviously researching the most commonly asked interview questions, but you're right. Yeah. Anticipate every question you're going to be asked. Yeah. Be a, be a little prepared for the style of question, like what you're, like yes. you're saying, Megan, but don't like, I think if you over-prepare, you're expecting exactly a certain question and that may, and if you, you might be thrown if you don't get that. Right. So be prepared for like the style of questions. Um, even think if you want to ask the interviewer a question about the company or about their career with one drugs or, or um, wherever you're applying, right? Like that's always appropriate too. And what questions you have and yeah, it's, it's the, the toughest thing. I mean, there's a lot of training that goes in and um, to even getting people to feel comfortable in an interview. I and mean, that's one of the things for, for my personal style of interview. It, I spend deliberate time trying to make someone feel as comfortable as possible. Cause I know I will get way better answers and I'll get a way better read on somebody if they're being themselves. Then if I do something to specifically make them more stressed or 
um, you know, they're at a high level of stress already, you know, or, or distracted or whatever. It's an interesting tactic because I've heard from others too, that they like to make, put somebody in an awkward situation or maybe pose a question that's really outlandish. Like if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? I've I know that question. Have you? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I love hilarious. You had a laugh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we had a big old laugh. I said a really old, old, wise weeping willow because <laughs> i'm an old soul and i just think they're such beautiful trees <laughs> well that's, that's awesome right what I mean, kind of tree would you be dave oh my gosh what kind of tree would i be talk about putting you on the spot <laughs> yeah i'm a giant nerd so maybe like a tree ant from lord of the rings for any of the <laughs> i don't know I mean, that's the weird one See, I, I don't mind those questions, but I, I don't ask that stuff because for me, you know, the, the tough part becomes how relevant is that going to be to the job? Like, unless you're acting out a tree in, in your job role, that's not going to happen on the job. And it, it's, um, that's always my argument to those, those people that feel like they need to, someone needs to be under that gun. And I want to know how they react under stress and pressure and high stress situations. And my question would be like, well, it is valuable to know that, but how often are they going to be under high stress, that level of stress in their job? Gosh, that job sounds awful, right? Like every job is stressful. <laughs> every job has stresses and stressful, but it's not like at 11, 40 hours out of the week, right? Otherwise we wouldn't do it. So no. it, it, to, for me, it's more valuable to know how do they operate as their, as their median. And then I want to know, as well because I do want to know how they react to stress I do want to know how um, they react in, in a crisis situation especially if I'm interviewing someone in a management role or something like that that I, I I'm going to need them to provide leadership to a team um, it's not a crisis situation every day so <laughs> yeah and usually like you said you want to see people at their like baseline they're good totally. neutral, happy everyday yeah. baseline and that's yeah. usually how we as human beings operate on a daily basis. What do you bring in every day? Yeah. Stress and invite that. And, and, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get up like five minutes after my alarm. I'm going to be late. I just, I want to feel the pressure starting right through my day. Let's make it really <laughs> difficult. You know, let's just see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it seems funny, right? When you break it down. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's the thing. I, I think there's, it, but you mean, in preparing for interviews, you don't, like you said, you don't know what you're going to get. So um, do a little prep and, and, and um, deep breaths, man. Good luck. <laughs> Absolutely. That's all you can do. What should a student do if they don't have any work experience or, or experience at all here in Canada? Yeah, that's a really common stumbling block for a lot of newcomers to Canada, I think. And like I said, when looking at resumes, a lot of recruiters and, and managers will look first at experience when we're scanning someone's resume. You know, what have you done in the past? And if you don't have Canadian work experience, this can be a significant hurdle to overcome. So I think for me, it comes down to two major tactics I would suggest usually. Uh, really analyze your international work history and see how you can apply that to the job you're applying for. Then help the hiring manager see this by using a good cover letter and in an interview. You know, secondly, when working on getting any Canadian experience, you work on getting any Canadian experience you can, working at what, you know, maybe not be your, your dream job, but at least a job where you can build some background in Canada and or volunteer somewhere to gain some Canadian work experience um, or, you know, connect with the employment agency or a great college like Northwest College to um, work on their integrated learning program, right? Like there's, there's other ways that you can gain relevant experience that you can then anchor to when you're discussing your um, suitability for a job. So, it, but it is, I, I recognize it's, it's really hard because that's when, what we look for first is like, like I said, is lots of times I, I joke all, all the time, like an ideal candidate for us is someone that's worked five years at Paris drugs and they come in wearing a blue shirt already, right? Like that's sometimes what you're, what you're looking for, but you know, that doesn't exist. So we, we do then have to look at like, what are transferable skills and how would they fit with this? And you know, I, when the first thing you look at is, is, is job experience. And if you don't have it, how can you help me see you in a blue shirt? If I'm the hiring manager, how can you help me see you doing the job? So that might be anchoring to your past work 
experience, might be gaining some work experience in Canada um, or volunteer, et cetera. We always recommend looking at volunteer opportunities, any way to expand your knowledge mm. in a specific area of interest. Also to learn more about a specific occupation when we do a lot of career coaching and career planning, we talk a lot about job shadowing and informational interviews. And that can be an experience takeaway as well. What are yes. your thoughts around uh, leveraging life experience? And I know there is a bit of a trend about life experience, cover letters, that type of thing. So really drawing from that, for example, I'm sure you've interviewed and hired a lot of maybe stay-at-home moms or dads that have been home for a long time. Yep. And they, you know, have been out of the workforce for a number of years and uh, maybe they haven't even been in the workforce. Maybe being a stay-at-home mom or dad has been their role, one of the most important roles. Um, totally. In the hardest, hardest job out there, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. So how can they kind of showcase that or speak to that, uh, whether it be in a cover letter or in an interview? And from your position, I guess, generally, and, and your, your thoughts around, is that recognized life experience? Yes, totally. Now, it, it gets to, yes, 100%, Megan. I, th I think it gets tough if, if depending on the role, like, because so, some roles, like we talked about, you know, skills are, are trainable and, and, and learnable on the job and all that stuff too. But some roles, you know, is a really easy example, like pharmacist, right? You have to have a, a bachelor's degree in pharmacy to do the job, right? Like, so there's some roles that might have really hard um, KSA or like knowledge skills or abilities requirements for that job. Um, but for a lot of jobs in retail, like it's not a whole lot of requirement. We talked about those soft skills, talked about, you know, how do you show that and, and how do you stand out? I mean, maybe, maybe it's, it is that, that's that stay at home, a mom or dad entering the workforce for the first time. Maybe they do a resume, but they really have a cover letter and they talk about a bit about their life, what they've been doing. And we, we know how hard those moms work. And then they could also say, what they know about London drugs, why they want to contribute there, how they see themselves contributing in that role to help that manager see it. And if they're applying for, you know, a cashier role and they are phenomenal with people and they, they apply online, they show up in person with the resume, they present really, really well. Like there's, there's a whole lot of little things you can do to overcome maybe, maybe an experience gap, depending on the role, right? Obviously. So I think it's those things. I think it's those those little extras, whatever you can do to stand out, because you're you're starting at a harder spot than if somebody's been working uh, for the last five years in a cashier role at another retailer or something. But that person may not be showing up and asking to talk to the manager in person, and say hi, and they may not be making that great impression on Aurora at the front desk, who then brings the resume back to Dave and says, "Hey, call this person." Right? You know, like that's some extra things you can do to stand out and try to get yourself to the top of the pile. Absolutely. The full package. The full package. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you for that. Based on everything we've talked about today, there's just so many amazing things that the Career Quest listeners are going to take away from this episode. You know, draw everything to a close and saying, is there anything additional that you would like to share as it relates to somebody getting out there and embarking on their career journey, or even if they're just starting out job searching? Are there any final thoughts or inspirational words that you would like to uh, share with our listeners? Man, thoughts are inspirational words. I'm still working on what tree I would be, Megan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, well, first, I, I want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to, to, to chat with you today and uh, all the support Northwest has given London Drugs. It, it's a, you're a great partner for, for the company. And I, I've really enjoyed all my interactions with the Northwest team. I think this is uh, hopefully helpful for the students. Final thoughts on it is if you're applying for jobs, it's hard. It's a slog. Uh, it's um, don't give up, keep pounding the pavement, try to do different things to stand up. We talked about uh, a few today. They're not the only things, of course. And one piece of advice I give to people actually often is, is apply, apply for jobs continually, like don't stop. But if you're applying, maybe consider applying with meaning. So like if you're applying for 50 jobs a week, what if you applied for 10 and really meant it. And what I mean by that is creating custom cover letters for each of those companies, 
learning a bit about each company and really seeing if that's a fit for you and how you could leverage that if it was a conversation. See if you can connect with someone that works there on LinkedIn or see if you could, like, you don't want to pigeonhole yourself and get zeroed in on only one company, maybe, unless it's Lund Drugs. But, um, but otherwise, like... Love those plugs, Dave. <laughs> can't help it. <laughs> can't help it. Um, it's, uh, but like, we just talked about standing out. So if, if you've got, if 200 people apply for one job, I'm not doing 200 interviews, right? I might do 20 phone interviews. I might do, we have a, some assessments. I, I'm going to think about management jobs, most of the roles that I would recruit for. If I get 200 applicants for a, um, a sales supervisor role, I, I might be doing 20 phone interviews and that's a lot. Um, and, then I, and then I might be doing, sending six or seven for a face-to-face interview. Um, and that's a lot. So that's out of 200. So it's like, how do you make that first cut? How do you showcase yourself in such a way that you're going to get past the first cut? Because the first cut is the deepest for us for when we're, we're paring down um, candidates. So anyway, that's, that's maybe a final thought. And I still don't know what tree. <laughs> be knocking on your door to, to get the answer. You better believe it. I want to know what tree you're going to be, Dave. Well, a very special thanks to you, Dave, for joining us today and sharing your valuable knowledge and expertise. And as I said, you are a part of the Northwest community. You and London Drugs have been such an amazing support to our students. And um, we appreciate everything that you've done for our students and uh, the information and knowledge that you share and this ongoing partnership that uh, you have with Northwest College. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun, Megan. Thanks for tuning in to episode three of the Career Quest podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. Please remember to subscribe to our show so you can get access to the latest episodes once they're released. If you're looking to get support with resumes, cover letters, interviewing tips, job searching, networking, and career planning, please contact the career education team to get more information on how we can assist you in starting your career journey. You can email us at W-I-L-C-E-C at norquest.ca.